0: welcome back to the horrors hi i'm elise i'm shay and we have two very special guests here with us today that we are so excited about we have friends <laughs> from the horror show which is a podcast we like to informally call a sister podcast we have our two podcasters here charlie and darby
1: hi there howdy do you guys just oh. want to say <laughs> say what you do talk about your podcast Sure, I'll go first. Cool. Uh, Yeah, I'm Charlie. I am a performer in a show in Vegas. I get naked in sparkly costumes for a living. I'm a burlesque performer. I am an OnlyFans content creator. And sometimes I'm a club stripper. But being a a socially awkward, anxious (laughs) creature, Club stripping is very difficult for me. I find it difficult to talk to people. So I I much prefer having a fourth wall between myself and the people that I'm stripping for.
2: (laughs) Which is ironic because, of course, burlesque is defined quite often by its lack of a fourth wall. But same, I tick a lot of the same boxes as Charlie in terms of my experience with sex work is in I do not excel working as a club stripper because of my particular neuroses. I have for a fair portion of the last decade and a half of my life supplemented my income through more direct sex work. I'm not an OnlyFans content creator, um, which speaks more to my opinion of myself than my perspective on its actual value. My day job is working as a curator and archivist for the Burlesque Fame Museum. So I'm a trained historian who ended up in what society would consider a lot of wives' jobs in today's world. And because I am not a wife, uh, (laughs) I supplement my income by dispensing discipline.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We produce and co-host a podcast called Quim City Presents, which kind of has two different episode themes, I guess. We have Quim History, where we explore themes through history and pop culture folklore basically women and women identifying women women presenting humans who have disrupted the narratives, the general narratives. We say the badass babes and badly behaved femmes who've shaped our culture. And we also do The Horror Show, which was born at the same time as The Horrors. And it's us giving our sort of queer, sex-positive, sex-work-positive opinions on our favorite horror movies. Which we kind of divide into monthly
2: themes so that we can engage with that visual side of it. But also because we need structure, <laughs> so we implement a false framework to keep us focused.
1: <laughs> yeah. We love that. Yeah. <laughs> two, two very neurodivergent babes you have with you today.
3: You're among friends.
0: <laughs> Obviously, which can I just ask you guys, did you watch the Scream trailer today? Yes. <laughs> Shay sent it to me. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it, which I am so excited to eventually tonight. But how cool. It dropped today.
1: I was so excited. I'm now spamming Instagram with all the unused promo pictures from our Scream month on the horror show. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of Scream, the horror show invited us
0: to be guests. On their podcast rendition of Scream Timber, which is such a fun name for that, where we talked about the four different Scream movies that have been out so far. And because we also wanted to have them on our show, we're just going to stick with the format we usually do, which is one movie. It's kind of our tried and true. Go through the plot step by step and see what different perspectives and ideas come through. To hint at a
3: reunion when Scream 5 drops, just let (laughs) us know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You ever want come
1: back? That, that's I awesome. mean, if if there was ever a time for a horror's trip to Vegas to come <gasps> see some shows and go to the movies, I think probably January 2022 is the one.
0: Holy shit! January. I've never been to Vegas.
1: Yeah, but that would be
3: pretty stinking cool. It really would be.
1: Hell yeah.
0: Yeah. What are we talking about today? What's the movie on the agenda?
3: Yeah. So this week we're talking about 2018's Cam, which is a Netflix original. It dropped, I think, at a Brooklyn film festival around the 2017, 2018 era. And the premise is about a webcam model or what she calls herself a cam girl who is, you know, engaging in the sex work and her identity is stolen somehow And she's just trying to figure out how to reclaim it. And there's some hints at perhaps supernatural, perhaps weird AI technology. There's just a bunch of stuff that happens that we have our main character, Alice, just trying to reclaim what's going on and figure out how she can get her identity back essentially. So kind of equal parts, thriller, equal parts, horror, equal parts, what genre is this? Cause we can't really tell who the bad guy is and, Maybe we know and maybe we don't, but um, I found the origins of this pretty interesting. So I found a interview with the film's screenwriter. Her name is Issa Maisie. It was written by her and supplemented by her experiences as a cam girl for many years. And her creative partner, Daniel Goldhaber, who directed the film, they wrote this together. It was a largely collaborative process. They co-wrote it, co-directed it, all of those types of things. So in terms of how it was made, Issa said, I'm quoting her here, I like to think that horror has a lot of morality to it. And the classic story of the sex worker in media is the innocent woman corrupted by a dark industry as she fights her way out of it. And I find that narrative incredibly problematic and incredibly damaging. It completely takes away a woman's agency to choose. You never see just the normal sex worker who has made the conscious choice to engage in the industry and who views it as their business. And it's actually the majority of sex workers that I know. It was a very deliberate choice to subvert that expectation of what we see, especially in this genre. So I found that awesome, just awesome context to provide. She also mentions that they included a variety of sex workers in the creative process because quoting her again, I'm definitely not arrogant enough to think that I could make a film that would feel authentic to all sex workers if I just included my own voice. So I thought having that context in terms of who's writing the film, who's directing the film, just some trivia. They actually had the director participate in cam work for like a week, at least if not more, prior to this so that he could even understand like what he was asking of his actresses and asking of our main character, Madeline Brewer, who plays Alice or Lola. But yeah, that was just some context going into the film that I thought was interesting to just kind of frame where it's coming from and then eventually what we build off of and where it takes
1: off. I definitely get that perspective in the movie. Like it's not in any way damning of coming itself. Accidental poetry for you there. (laughs) But yeah, I'm sure we'll get into it. But that's probably the most positive thing I can say about this movie. I would agree with that.
2: I'm very happy to hear that the producers involved had an actual, or the writer, you said, had an actual relationship with sex work, worked in sex work. I would say that if I had to classify this film, I would call it a gateway fable for sex work. And I know you guys don't do spoilers on your show, so I don't want to spoil it, but that was what I came away with it from as someone who's worked in sex work and has tried to reiterate to other people what I think is the lesson they were trying to tell with this story. With that said, this is constantly a problem in media when you're representing sex workers is that people don't accurately represent them and they don't include them in the representation. So the fact that they did that speaks volumes to what they were trying to do, and it makes it all the more disappointing that I did not find it to be a very good film because it ticks off so many things that I wanna celebrate. And it also puts the safeness of the story into perspective for me because that was one of the things that most irritated me. And I feel like wouldn't have irritated me had, this is my takeaway from this entire film, is that had it been like a short episodic thing, they could have done everything they did in this film, but better. If it had been like a Twilight Zone episode. And that's from everything to the hierarchy within the sex work platform that they represent to the glamorization of non-contact sex work and non-genital sex work, I would say. And yes, yeah, so it was too vague and too long, I think, to be truly a quality piece of cinema, but it might have made a great, and I've never seen this show. I'm just going off of how people have described it to me, but a great like Black Mirror episode.
0: Ooh, ooh, yeah. It does feel very Black Mirror, now that you say that. Never seen
2: an actual Black Mirror episode, uh-huh. but people always tell me, oh, you'd love it, because it's like this generation's <laughs> Twilight Zone, and I'm kind of obsessed with Twilight Zone, if you haven't heard our intro.
1: I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Black Mirror, but I will say that Black Mirror is not this sex work neutral or positive <laughs> like the the one time black mirror has really gone into a sex work story it's definitely been the oh she's being coerced into doing this she's doing this because she hasn't had any other choice and she's miserable and she's gonna fruff herself off and cry
2: well and that definitely wasn't the case in this they made it clear the whole time that she was an entrepreneur that there was a lot of absolute consent she saw this as something she was building all of those things i want to you know Which is why I say, had it been in a episode length narrative, I feel like all of it would have been as well conveyed and I wouldn't have had as many of the issues I have with it, i.e. the vagueness of the actual story, (laughs) the lack of any real answers. But I'm guessing we'll hear more about that when we hear about Shay's deep dive into IT demons or whatever the hell it's going to turn out to be. Uh, so I'm going to stop derailing this with some meta statement and go on from there.
3: I'm glad you brought up the idea of IT demons because this does feel very akin to Host, which we covered back uh, December. I don't know when we covered that and uh, the unfriended series. There's a lot of like screen capture. I'm kind of like a sucker for that kind of stuff. I, I like. I like feeling like just nosy and just seeing everything that's going on. So reading the messages, like, like that kind of aspect to it. Maybe I just have a sweet spot for that. But yes, let's find out what we're all so frustrated about, because I think we're all (laughs) like hating on the same thing. And once we get there, like, let's just fucking unpack it. But Elvis, you want to just kick us off with the
0: plot where we start? Yeah. So the movie starts out and Alice, her persona online is Lola underscore Lola. But I'm going to call her Alice just because later I think that'll be easier. So we start and we see her doing her thing on camera. We start this out. We have a slow pan out and we see that Alice is doing her thing. She's on cam. She's getting message after message after message with all of these funny gifts like an exploding penis and like a flashing smiley face that just make you giggle. And she is working it and she is confident. We can quickly kind of see or like start to see what's going on where people will give tokens to see certain things and Alice will do those things. She's very charming, but quickly we see somebody start making pretty rude comments that Alice should hurt herself or that she's a whore. And Alice seems you know, taken aback, very scary. Eventually this person tells her to kill herself, take out a knife. I want to see you cut yourself. And although she says no and tries to block the user, the user comes back with a different name. Finally, Alice sort of gives in. She says, you know what? Fine, you want to see me do it? I'll do it. And then she does, but it was all fake and it was a prosthetic neck blood piece. And it was just reviews. And we quickly realized that Alice is determined Herment. to so get herself into the top 50 accounts on this site that she is on. Yeah, so she gets a call from somebody named Tinkerboy. We saw him in the chat a couple times. He was actually the one that was egging her on to perform this stunt. And they were in collaboration. So she was like, oh, thanks for doing that. He's like, anything. I'm so excited for us to get to the top 50. So we really get the sense that these two are in cahoots. But, um, you know, on their video call, we do get to see Tinkerboy. And he doesn't exactly seem... like the most charming or handsome guy. He seems just like a little bit pathetic. And we can get the sense that, you know, Alice isn't super interested in him, but she has just caught a whale, which is somebody who gives a lot of tokens, a big sponsor. And Alice has not actually stolen, but it's kind of, you know, said that she stole this big whale from Princess X, who is another very successful cam girl. And that is kind of where it seems like the first central conflict begins. You know, what are we going to do with this guy? Oh, what is his name? Barney. I always keep wanting to say Arnold.
3: That's Tank's real name.
2: Okay. Uh, I just had a question about the way you're describing that. You say that Arnold seems kind of, I'm summarizing, obviously, kind of dorky. And she doesn't seem like she would be that interested in him. I'm curious about your characterization of that.
0: Well, the only reason I say that is because when Barney tries to message her, she immediately sort of abandons Tink and she goes on her big hunt. You can tell that she's really excited. And I think that in her mind, because it's said a lot of times, she's so excited to get to the top 50 that having a big sponsor and a big donor for that cause will help her get there. And I think that while it is very clear that her and Tink have had you know, some sort of communication for a while. Of course, they're sort of collaborating. He's seeing what he can do to help her get to a good point in her career to get to the top 50. I think that, you know, she sort of ditches him. I think there's a point he says, why don't you get in the bath? I want to see you get in the bath. She says she's tired. But then when Barney calls, we see her get in the bath for him. So she kind of, I guess, refocuses her priorities for the night once she kind of sees that she has Barney on her side and to see what can come of that.
2: So that, I think, is actually really exemplary of why I found the film to have so many shortcomings, despite the fact that it was created by sex workers. The elements of realism that they really tried to infuse in that was showing you that 90% of sex work is emotional labor. And so she's not interested in Tink, and Tink knows that. That's the whole reason why it's so insidious that this character does certain things, right? She's providing the emotional labor of letting him feel like he's in on something and he's, he's her friend. That's what he Mm -hmm. pays for. That's what Barney's paying for. That's what they're all paying for is that emotional labor. So the cam gets people in rooms, which is how you make more money, which is essentially how strip clubs work as well. But the reason I see that as a shortcoming is because people watching it who don't necessarily understand that that's how it works, they still see it from the perspective of the purchaser who is often portrayed, and especially in this instance, as an empowered white male. So you're seeing his needs when in reality, he's getting exactly what he's paying for. And he's paying for less than Barney. Her priorities didn't readjust at all. She is literally doing her job and that is her job to go to the one who's paying the most money, right? He sent her bubble bath and that's why he's like, Oh, get in the bath. I want to see you use the bubble bath, but that doesn't mean he's entitled to when she's going to use it and when she has time for that. And if there's a bigger spender in that line right now, that is her job and that is her priority and that's how she gets higher. Right. Yeah. So, The fact that that is what we get from that story, watching it as someone who's not part of that actual dynamic, I feel, again, they would have conveyed the idea of, because they were very much trying to tell the the story of the emotional labor as the job, but only because I myself know that already. And so Uh that's why I know that there are certain (laughs) things they were trying to do that did not deliver in what they were trying Mm. to say and why they were trying to say it. Wow. You know, so
0: I'm not...
2: Well, and we all have internalized horror phobia, and we all have internalized misogyny. And that I think like so much this film was trying to address it. And there are ways where they really showed it. But yeah.
3: I mean, I think, too, like the different characterizations of Barney versus Tink, like they've had them such on like an opposite sliding scale where it does appear that Tink is a little bit more submissive in his interactions with Alice, whereas Barney seems a lot more entitled to her time and a lot more been around the block, has kind of done this so many times. So it was a lot easier to look at their Stark characterization because they were foils of one another, whereas Alice and you know I didn't know what to call the other person but I just kept saying not her Alice and not her like obviously have their differences
2: and that's part of that characterization cuz Lola is who the person is asking for she's a very different dynamic talking to Tink than she does talking to Barney she has no problem switching between those two people mm-hmm. That's an important part of that is showing that she's going to be the buddy, buddy friend when that's what they're comfortable with. And that's the connection they need because that's where their emotional and sexual development is versus the guy who needs to feel empowered and feel like daddy and is going to drop money on that.
3: From this interaction, you learned that Barney's a bit of a dick and that'll continue. <laughs> we moved to a hair salon that is, through Context Clues, owned by Alice's mother. Alice's mother's doing her hair and while she's doing her hair she's just very casually shopping for $5,000 couches you also find out through this interaction that she has a very positive relationship with her brother which I just found to be the most endearing thing Jordan yes Jordan she shows him the throat slit from the night before talks about how it got her to number 53 he's super supportive of it which I was ready for like a cringe moment but I was like oh this is so sweet like he's so supportive this is very nice You also find out that their mother doesn't know about the line of work exactly that Alice is engaged in. And that becomes a point of contention later on, for sure.
0: Next, we are in a supermarket. Alice is shopping for her brother because his birthday is coming up. She's getting some snacks. And who does she fucking see but
3: Tink? Well, a friend from high school first, which I don't even know why the hell she's here. She just kind of shows up and it's like, so what do you do now so that she could lie? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that, (laughs) I don't know what the purpose was for Uh, that.
2: That was her exact purpose. Yeah. That was her (laughs) exact purpose. And that's what I mean. Like, as someone having engaged in this from the other side, you can kind of see what they're trying to do. And that is the exact purpose is so that she had Mm. to lie.
1: Yeah. And what I found interesting about that situation as well was it probably wasn't translated as well as it was trying to, if this is what they were trying to do. But I feel like it was commenting on the the hierarchies we make in our heads because on the one side, you've got the friend from high school who looks pained because she's just run into an old friend of hers and she's working in a dollar store. And then you have Alice who's buying $5,000 couches, but she's embarrassed to say what she's doing because mm. she's a sex worker. So it's like that Alice feels that... And this is not to like put anything on people who work in retail, because that is also one of the most laborious jobs you could do, like, especially with emotional labor, because people think they can talk to retail workers however the fuck they want. But yeah, yeah, it was an interesting thing to see both of these girls kind of twisting in themselves about what they ended up doing with their lives.
0: Mm. Because the real villain is capitalism. (laughs) always (laughs) and it comes back to capitalism
3: (laughs) always eat the rich always
2: that's really the thing like it's very commonly discussed within sex work circles that if you are in the service industry if you participate in capitalism you're a whore to something right Mm. And we all use that word casually because we've had long conversations about it, right? But that is the reality, especially if you're in the service industry. Like my barista is expected to smile through lecherous statements, but she would be ostracized if she went and made seven times as much money having that same person treat her the same way with her consent because she's in the space to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like very much, I feel like they're spotlighting that reality of sex work because all of the things that space sex work is a microcosm for misogyny and how the patriarchy is maintained through creating these hierarchies that Charlie's talking
0: about. They even show the hierarchy within the cam house, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Alice and Tinker made strange eye contact. Obviously very uncomfortable because he is in the same store that she is in. Immediately we're wondering, is he stalking her? What is happening here? Because we never got the sense that he was from the same area. But then that scene quickly ends and we move on to the next one.
3: Yeah, she's FaceTiming one of her friends who also works in camming. They're talking about their ranks and and things of that nature. And this is where... Alice performs her. There are rules skit. Oh yeah. Very scream. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. I was waiting. Pulls her Randy where she pretty much lays out the three things that she never does in her shows. She does not do public shows. She does not tell her guys that she loves them. And then she does not
2: fake it. That's because sex workers are the master of boundaries. And it's not necessarily those specific rules. It's the idea that every person going into sex work has to know what their rules are so that that way they can feel empowered and not coerced, which is the dominant narrative is that coercion. Mm -hmm. And so again, I feel like this was someone who had been in this industry trying to provide a narrative that was real to an industry Mm -hmm. that most people don't actually understand or connect with.
3: And this is a quick question just for like how we all took this. Do we consider the
2: Vibatron a public show? Yes. Okay. I think that that was part of the point because she went to the cam house and she did it with someone else. So she broke her own rule in that way, right?
1: Yeah. Because I, again, like jump in the plot. She does end up doing a public show later on. So yeah, I feel like by that she meant like, actually, she doesn't do it outside of the pink room.
2: That and to get from where we just were talking about to the point Charlie's talking about in the Vibratron, right? We have the setup of rules and then the falling of rank, which is brought on by someone else breaking their rules to attack another performer, Mm -hmm. right? And that's reinforcing the hierarchy where you have the girl who's really high on the rank and she doesn't do naked and she's willing to get naked to drag down this other performer. And so it's kind of focusing on these boundaries, And I guess the way people will engage with them as in what does cause that coercion, I think Mm -hmm. is what they're kind of investigating. Right. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. So to provide context to that while she is doing a show and she breaks top 50 for the first time eating a steak in a very ASMR (laughs) ahead of her time fashion, she finds out that another cam model princess Breaks her rules, just as Darby said. And I wasn't sure that that was intentional at that time, but it was done at the same time that Alice was doing her show. So I guess that's meant to be intentional. And then with some spatting that you get later at the house, I guess it was
2: intentional to help her break rank. As soon as she breaks 50, like within seconds, she says, I'm taking it off. And it was each piece of clothing for a ranking. Mm -hmm. So if, if Lola or Alice as Lola drops a rank then she will take off another garment of clothing and it was going to require a minimum of 10 ranks for her to be topless. So then the following day, when she feels completely slighted and frustrated, instead of having her own response, she engages with this and does the same thing by breaking her rule and going to do the Vibratron show. When she shows up at the cam house, this again being considered a public show in this context, those big air quotes, that was just kind of the sense I got, my interpretation of it. Public show could also mean like a club or whatever, but that was not the expanse of this narrative. Princess X shows up. She throws in a point about how people want to push her boundaries because what does non-nude mean? And then she engages with Alice as Lola and says something about, are you ready to break your rules?
0: So because of all the lost rankings, Alice does make the decision to, with her friend Fox, go and do a show on the Vibatron, which is essentially, and I'm not sure a vibrating saddle that you sit upon and allowed to vibrate you. It seemed awful. Every, <laughs> everything about the lighting in that scene, the expression on her face, definitely the first time I felt like I was watching Alice not feeling empowered by the work that she was doing. Like it felt like it just not quite the Alice that we had seen. And that was, you know, that was upsetting. That was not a fun scene to watch.
1: Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Like, especially with her saying yet another one of her rules is she doesn't fake her orgasms. And it's like, well, how is she gonna be able to orgasm when she's that uncomfortable? Like, I can't remember. It seemed very much like they were edging her, but I don't think she climaxed in that show. Well, and that was
2: what the girl had asked her whether or not she was willing to break her rules. Because again, then they were kind of loading up the Vibratron as like a sensationalist thing. And and if you're going to participate in something that's not for pleasure, yada, yada. Sidebar, not to shamelessly plug Charlie and I's podcast, but we did do a multi-part series on vibrators uh, (gasps) earlier this year. So if you'd like to hear some stuff about the history and science of self-sustained pleasure or battery sustained pleasure, go check that out. But anyway, the, uh, yes, I mean, there is a science behind that. There are performative toys that are intended to bring vibratory pleasure that are actually just too strong and any intense vibration can, um, nerve sensation. That is a reality, Mm -hmm. but yes. So that is part of that. And that was the rule she was challenging her to break because she was already there in the public show, but they're, you know, not really acknowledging that because they're in a house and they're whatever, which is one of those things about, I feel like there's that dual story they're trying to tell about how sex workers live one life and it's seen as another. But yes, that is the rule. She had to break it. It's meant to be Mm -hmm. anxiety inducing 100%.
0: And we even hear from a character, I think from Princess X herself, that she knew somebody who permanently lost sensation. So, you know, kind of not only breaking your rules, but putting yourself at risk. You can tell that she's just really, really committed (laughs) to breaking top 50 and she does. Her Vibatron plan works and she does reach 47. And it doesn't even seem like she gets to enjoy it as much as she could, but she does it. In between
3: all of this happening, we find that Tink called her on her real number, which obviously is a violation of boundaries. I guess he had it for emergencies, but after she started slighting his calls, after seeing him in the dollar store... He obviously broke some boundaries to try to get in contact with her and reveals that he moved to her city and is currently unemployed because he wanted to like be around her because he was afraid that something bad was going to happen. And we get into that, but obviously very uncomfortable to watch her kind of like looking over her shoulder. The next
0: day after she reaches top 50, she wakes up opens up her laptop. Such a relatable moment. How many times do you wake up, roll over and just pull your laptop into bed with you and just open it up? I feel called out. (laughs) I (laughs) know. I'm right there with you. But she tries to log into her account a couple of times. She can't log in. So strange. She searches her name and then it says that she's live. So she's like, what the fuck? clicks it sees herself in a bikini in a swimming pool and then she hears a noise so she goes to investigate but it's just the big screen in her filming room in her house is also playing the same video that she just caught a glimpse of on her laptop and it is her in the same background that we've seen so many times she looks exactly the same she has similar mannerisms like it is exact carbon copy And originally she just thinks, oh, something is wrong with the website. They're playing old performances, but she calls customer service and they're no help to her. And she tries to talk in the chat in like an alternative account, but I guess we could say the doppelganger, the person who is Lola, only Lola, who has kind of taken that identity that Alice has created, bans her. Alice tries to make a new account, messages the chat again, and Lola responds live on the video. So you can tell that this is not just a repeat episode, that this is happening real time. And I don't even know what I would do. (laughs) What would you do? That's the strangest thing. I don't know.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know, like, because there's that scene of her flipping through her calendar. Was that supposed to prove that she's done that show before? Because I read that as she's trying to look back through her schedule to see like, when did I do that? but I don't see it like zero in. I don't think it was
2: that. I think that she hasn't necessarily done it before, but she's so diverse with her themes and she keeps record, right? Because it's showing that she is a genuine business. She is very thorough about this. Mm -hmm. It's spun at this time, like it's to be top 50, right? But she is growing and creating this thing. She can't find it. So she calls IT.
0: Yeah. I think that it was like, You were watching somebody trying to rationalize what the hell was going on. And on top of seeing her beautifully kept calendar, you also saw her failing to find what she was looking for, which was proof that this had been done before. Like, even when she was telling IT at first, you're replaying my shows, we didn't even see proof that that show had been done before. It's like this, it's like such a creepy moment where you just like can't rationalize what's going on.
3: Also just appreciate the bluntness of the line of, well, dude, is she on the fucking phone? I don't know. That just made me. Laugh.
2: <laughs> that was a, an interesting thing to me about her portrayal that stuck out to me is mm. that she was very dismissive of service people. Mm. Oh. Uh, and it was shocking to me because like this plays into my larger thing about it being a gateway fable for sex workers, because, you know, she's spending extravagantly without having much of a base She's not taking a ton of precautions with her identity. And then she's like shitty to service people. She snaps at the IT person, which again, as a femme, I feel for her because there have been so many times where it's just like, you're not fucking listening to me and you're going to treat me worse for snapping. And I still can't resist it because I'm so pissed off about this. Catch 22 I'm in right now at this triggered moment, especially with IT people because I am not tech savvy. But yeah. And then like, she's distracted. I had a thought about this while watching it and I can't remember what the specific pinpoint was, but something about her distraction, her absorption in it, but also the fact that she's very dismissive to service people and long-term sex workers are not, not to any of them in my experience. So yeah, like it was like the baby stripper, the too big for your bitches, baby stripper thing (laughs) going on. I didn't know if that was intentional or not, but like part of me really felt like it was Charlie. Is that just me?
1: I didn't think about it that deeply, to be honest. I was relating (laughs) to her frustration more, I think. they
2: did show it very intentionally, though. Especially when she's in the shop trying to get on the IT. And then, like, the way they show her not interacting and not seeing the person on the other side of the counter. Like, they showed that part. Mm. You know, it wasn't just her being absorbed by this horrible drama. Which it was a horrible drama, but also, like we exist in the real plane. And so they showed both sides of that in that particular interaction. And I was like, Mm. are they trying to show her as being like self-absorbed or what's going on here?
3: And fun fact that counter girl was played by the screenwriter. That's Issa, So she she made a little cameo. Thought that was fun.
2: Yay. Well, maybe that's the only reason she was in it. (laughs) (laughs) Where are we? Clubhouse. Yeah. She has that scene
3: with Fox where they have to prove that it's real again.
0: Oh yes. Yes. And then Princess X seems to be... Orange. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Orange. (laughs) Orange. (laughs)
3: Orange. (laughs) Essentially, it's just a replay of the scene that she did by herself that proves that, indeed, this is live, and her friends have no idea how to help her either. They're like, I don't know. Like, it's weird, and you're climbing ranks, so congrats, but, like, also strange.
2: And Princess Princess X X flat out says... Sorry, were you just going to say this? I was just going to
0: say... I was just going to say she's ruled out. She seems like she's really ruled out as the culprit. But what were you going to say? That she says, welcome to the internet,
2: (laughs) which is like, reminded me of so many of these memes that were going around when OnlyFans announced that they were going to kick off adult content. One in particular of that stories from the Wild West with, what's his name, who looks like James Dean, who played James Dean. And he's like, first time, eh? Yeah, being hung. Do you know what I'm talking about? And he's like, first yeah, time, yeah, yeah. huh? First time, only yeah. fan. Sex workers looking at OnlyFan models. First time, huh? Oh, uh, oh it's from that, so, that Buster Scruggs
0: movie. That scene? From yeah, Buster? that one. Okay.
2: So anyway, that was all I could think of when that happened. You know, it's like, oh, first time here. Welcome to the internet. Like, that's what Camming's about. And Princess X, you can tell from her name, like, she is a very generic character. She's... Not to be rude, but like she like that name is very generic. It's very much removed from who she is. And it's obviously not personable. It's like a title. Like her name sounds like a title. Then that's very much character she's playing that removes her from her clientele. So I think they're trying to set her up as the more seasoned worker there. You know what I'm saying?
3: Do we think that Baby's the most, most seasoned worker if she's number one? Because I was trying to see what the vibe was with the other characters and how they saw her and her content, because we didn't really get to see that much of it. But at the same time, like there
2: seems to be a little disdain. So at that point in the film, the only thing they'd really said about Baby was that I don't even think she cares about ranking. She's on another level right and that again is that for me the subtle underscore of you know people who are the best at sex work do what they're good at and don't fucking worry about you know what i mean like real sex work isn't about competing with other sex workers Mm. there is no limit to what people are interested in which again is one of the things i really applaud the film for is that they showed a diverse array of sex workers different bodies different kinks Talking about my freaking current crystal journey to I'm going to read you naughty literature too. And that <laughs> is the gamut of what you see on stuff like that. Like it's very real, the massive glitter tits. Uh, yes.
1: So good, that was right? my favorite little flash of the glitter on the tits. Again, like a lot of what is titillating pun intended oh. is is the uh, is the taboo right and we as burlesque performers have it drilled into us that we cannot do glitter pause on stage cuz it's just It's not done because it gets all over everything. It's slippy on the stage. It makes the stage dangerous for anyone who comes after you. So like, yeah, anyone who's seasoned in burlesque and clubs knows you don't pour glitter all over yourself. So, But everyone getting into it wants to do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what you want to do. So yeah, like seeing her do the glitter pour, I was like, oh, the dream. mm -hmm. The unattainable dream. Take my money. (laughs)
0: I love that. Yeah. She tells her cat she's studying. She watches these channels
2: as a director. I got to say, had this been a short, like an episodic length narrative, you could have had those flips at (gasps) each scene change and it would have been so rad and you could have involved so many other sex workers. Just saying.
0: Maybe you'll have a movie one day. You've got all those ideas going on over
2: there. <laughs> ideas are I, free. I Anyone in the world is free to take them. Please go do this.
3: So Princess kicks her out. And it's just kind of like, fuck you. Welcome to the internet. Get out. You're not, you're, you know, Just kind of get out of my face. And now we're at mom's salon again. Oh. And mm-hmm. she is talking to her mom, dropping off the video games, asked her to wrap them. And who shows up at the door with flowers? Tank. It's Tank.
0: Yeah. And this is very creepy. Again, unsettling right up there with the supermarket sighting. Yeah. He comes in immediately. Alice goes up to him to kind of shoo him away. He's like, I'm so excited to meet your mom. This is great. And she, you know, basically kicks him out again. and is like, no, that's not me. I did not say those things to you, but he reveals to us that Lola had told him she loved him. And that's another role that we know in the beginning that Alice had that she would not break. And now this alter ego, this doppelganger has broken that rule. And that just makes me wonder, like, how many other people is she talking to? Like, how insidious is this alternate persona now? Like, how far reaching is it? Because Alice is a really successful cam girl. Like, oh, I just like thinking about being powerless to to do anything when your identity is being stolen. It's just like so nerve wracking. So
2: I kind of got the thought that he got that information because he was an IT. Alice had used her real information to create the character Lola. It comes to my attention that the real villain here might be the very fact that she violated her own boundaries. Mm. Because the gateway fables sort of like demonstrating the actual dangers of sex work rather than the perceived dangers of sex work by telling the story. I love that. And of course, like, there's so many ways that people can find you on the internet, even if you do use fake names. They brought it up the first time she talked to him. He's in IT. Again, he was another, could it be him? Mm -hmm -hmm." And that definitely circles back around when she is trying to
3: pinpoint what's going on.
2: Yeah. Well, because they mentioned he's in IT. They mention he's looking for work. He mentions that he's looking to potentially relocate. But we know by this point in the plot that he already knew he'd relocated and was just like setting it up because he was waiting for her to ask for his help
0: because that's mm-hmm. his
2: fix. That's the kind of client he is.
0: I like what you said, though, about is the enemy more so like her breaking her boundaries because like when the whole split happened between Alice and the Lola that was on her site my first thought was wondering if something supernatural was happened but then I was wondering if it was a metaphor and I was like is this like some sort of metaphor for Alice watching herself lose sight of the boundaries she set and what you just said reminded me of that because that's Something that I wondered as well. And I guess that goes back to what you said too about like a a gateway fable. Like, is this like a warning of some kind?
2: Yeah. So, again, one of the dangers being she's losing control of her image, her intellectual property simultaneously, which is a common thing that has happened to cam girls and platforms similar. Like, Patreon can take all kinds of your content, which is why a lot of, I mean, they were also in the first run of the FOSTA SESTA bullshit that is now censoring our internet welcome to china folks but like i was saying so this loss of control with her image because we're about to enter her next like really emotional turn which is the next faked death that the lola doppelganger pulls off which has an incredibly traumatic effect on alice trigger warning the character shoots themselves and she watches her, you know, die. It's very believable, just like the throat slitting at the beginning, but more so. I see you like your face or facial
0: responses,
2: least This was rough, <laughs> I'm guessing, for you to watch that yeah. part.
0: Well, yeah, because you're watching you're watching a scene that already it wouldn't be my preference for watching for pleasure. But then you're watching Alice's reaction. And it's just kind of like stacking, I guess, those kind of like uncomfortable emotions. And yeah, it is triggering.
3: I think what breaks me most about that scene is what precedes it, which is Jordan's birthday party, where due to his friends watching her live show that is happening, that is not her, but is in all intents and purposes her, and a fumbling of a phone, her mother finds out that way that she cams and that she's engaged in sex work and it's not met with a very warm response very much uh, let's just cut the cake now and leave with a very somber happy birthday sing along as she runs out the door but mm. when that scene happens the first thing she goes to do is call her mom and her mom doesn't answer like she's scared and she's terrified and she just wants you know she wants to talk to her mom like she doesn't know what to do and she realizes that her mom doesn't really want to talk to her at that moment and i think that's what that scene that's what like hit me like uh, like she really feels like there's no one she can really turn to at this moment
2: And that's also the last rule that might have been flexibly broken being solidly broken, because then Lola Doppelganger is masturbating in a library. And that's the definition of a public show. She's doing Mm -hmm. something in public. Which, again, I think both sets up a bit of a hierarchy as well as is exemplary of sex work, because, of course, it's her boundary that she doesn't want to violate. And because it's something that if she did it, she would be doing it out of a feeling of coercion is a problem. But there are plenty of people who have no problem and see no issue with that and plenty of people who would buy that. So it's still a niche that exists within that and it's only a villain because it is not who she is which is one of the things that makes it sort of the fable for um both the outside and in because like the following scene when she does finally see her mother And her mother says, you know, no, you're a character and you're this. And she goes, but it's not me. And her mother thinks that she's not taking responsibility and accountability for something that she is now saying she should and recognizing that it is not as problematic as it's perceived to be and is very stigmatized. But she's not being heard because of what's actually going on, right? So the traumas that she's actually experienced are being, once again, being ignored even by these people who think they get it.
0: This is definitely the part of the movie where I was like, oh, <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> like if it's like, it reminds me of like the part in the rom-com where like everything starts going wrong. But this time it was like a horror movie thriller and like everything is going wrong for the person that you're rooting for. And you're just like, oh. but she figures this out. Right. She comes back from that. <laughs> we got to
3: round out the sad part of the movie with some shitty cops because that. Oh, that God. Happens the to, cherry on top. Yeah. More shitty cops. A
2: cab baby, a cab,
3: and this is something that the director in talking about writing the horror movie, she was talking about how she wanted Alice to make smart choices, so like in the screenwriter's mind, like she said, like, yeah, calling the cops like she feels threatened. she feels like if that is not her that somebody's threatening her. So she tries to um call the police and get them involved, and it's met with some hella misogyny and some hella invasive questions and some hella leading questions of perhaps trying to arrest her for her line of work. And it's uncomfortable all around.
2: And And the most telling and realistic element of it all is at the very end, the last thing the cop says to her is too bad. Or Mm. well, the other cop when they're alone, right? They don't take her seriously, which is also very common for sex workers to not be taken seriously when sexually assaulted. She's then left alone with one of the cops who asks her if she has sex with these people. And then she demonstrates her, no, that's not what I do, which again can be interpreted as internalized horophobia and/or a demonstration of her boundaries. And then he says, Oh, that's too bad, because in reality, so many cops are the customers of sex workers. Story about a brothel getting busted like two weeks ago, and half of the arresting officers were customers on the previous night. Excellent. It happens every damn day.
0: Yes. We have the police cherry on top, absolutely adding to this chaos. But after this is where things start picking back up again, with in terms of like Alice kind of taking back her autonomy and and figuring out what the hell is going on. And how does she do this? I know she starts looking up baby, that famed number one cam girl that we've heard so much about.
1: Does she just start looking her up out of curiosity to like see who she is or... She sees one of Baby's broadcasts and she's quoting one of the doppelganger Lola's shows verbatim. Whoever is pretending to be me, I think is also pretending to be Baby because they're saying exactly the same shit. Yes. Super creepy.
0: Because I didn't expect that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, me neither. I was like, oh, oh, another layer. Okay. <laughs> and it's revealed through this
3: that Lola and Baby are collabing soon. Obviously, unbeknownst to Alice, but that they will be doing a show together because at this point, Lola has peaked it into the top 20 with her fake gun stunt. So now that she's reached a level of hierarchy or notoriety, Baby will be performing with her. And that's the first that Alice is hearing about it is from Baby. But yeah, this is what prompts Lola to call Barney because she knows that Barney is a very regular client of Baby's and is... You know, the reason she is number one in his words. So that kind of prompts her to do a little more research. And she knows that Barney will be in her area very recently. So she meets him at his
0: hotel goes well at first alice asks barney a couple questions about baby he shows her a picture of him with baby in front of i guess a drugstore called like barney's drugstore or something like that i guess they took oh so funny it's your name i thought it was barney's
2: hardware and it was oh that's right oh
0: my god me no you're fucking right and i never get the dick jokes what the heck (laughs) oh my Jesus. I, Barney's drugstore? What kind of child am I? Thank you for educating me for the love of God. Ugh. I will keep practicing, I guess. I might be giving them more credit than they're due though. No, so, I'm going to double right.
3: check
2: now, but no. no <laughs> you're right.
3: <laughs> it's a theme on the show that that the lesbian gets the dick jokes before at least the straight girl does. So, it's so it, <laughs> it, it, it's it's a running
0: joke and, and this is
3: just happening to it.
0: <laughs> and it, oh my god. All right. Well, fucking Barney's goddamn hardware. <laughs> But (laughs) she goes to the bathroom to try to look up where it is. But right at that time, Lola goes live. So then Barney bursts in. He's raging, you know, accusing Alice of pretending to be somebody she's not. Because if she was really the Lola he subscribes to, how could she be live right now? But she ends up getting away from him. I think she bites his fingers as he tries to say that she's his wife. And she's just being hysterical. And she gets away. But she has that information about Barney's Hardware and she is able to use that to track baby's real name in that location where the hardware store is listed. I guess, luckily enough, it's a small drugstore, not a chain, so the location it's in is found pretty easily. And plot twist the real baby died like six months ago. So, how is she still making content, right?
1: Mm-mm. This is where the movie got more interesting in my head and then didn't play out the way it played out in my head. I'm like, oh, so whatever this is that's taken over you is probably going to kill you, too. That would oh, be a good shoot. movie.
3: Well, the thing that happens next is she goes home and she's watching the collab between herself and baby, and they're walking throughout her real house. And showing photos of her little brother and laying in her very real bed. And this is where I'm like, this has to be some paranormal shit because yeah. like, sure, you can argue that she's been carrying her like laptop around the entire time when she's like talking to people, but like what AI can track the in, unless she has cameras. Cause maybe you're hacking into that, but like track the very real time moving around and the lifting of the photo. Like that's where I'm like, there's gotta be a fucking ghost.
2: I briefly thought that maybe she was in purgatory, but that's just my surviving
0: Catholic school speaking. (laughs) You in Catholic school, Darby? You must have given those nuns a run for (laughs) their money. (laughs) Oh, I pity the nun.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I have a running joke that it's just like, I'm gay and ex-Catholic, so I identify as traumatized. So like oh, yeah. that
0: <laughs>
2: relatable content, my dear. Oh my god! Yeah, thirteen years of Catholic school.
3: You had it worse than me. I just went through CCD, and I thought that was bad. Is CCD a thing near you?
2: Is that like a? It is, but it wasn't part of like the diet. Can
1: you can you enlighten the? uh so, He's an, <laughs> no, it's for person.
2: <laughs> they send you to like catechism classes essentially so that you're still getting indoctrinated even though your parents aren't spending a bunch of money for you to do it all day.
0: Yeah, it's night school for bad Catholics. Well, when you're young it's in the daytime and it's okay cuz you get to miss church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: We don't yeah, have yeah. that though in like Catholicism, Sunday school that's during mass. You don't have that. I used to like to go to church with my friends because they went to Christian churches where they had Sunday school. And so you got to go color instead of kneel.
1: Of England. And we had lots of like happy clappy stuff and coloring and a youth Bible that said the word sex on the cover.
3: This is giving me like teeth vibes. Like <laughs> oh, like, yeah. like the chastity club or whatever. Teeth. in tea. Yes. <laughs> That's
2: what
3: it's oh, giving me. That's Keith what it's so, much. Me. With so fantastic. Toby fucking Cobb. Toby Cobb and Toby Cobb. Her last name's not. Oh, it's Keefe, right? Queef. No, it's not Keefe. Like, I don't know. It no, sounds like yeah,
2: Keefe. Keefe. <laughs> oh Keefe. Oh Keith. Oh Keith. Oh Keith. That's right. Oh, like Keith. That's fitting too. Yes. Yes. The artist. Yes. The vagina artist.
1: Mm-hmm. There is a burlesque performer who goes by Georgia O'Keefe. <sighs> Amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I love that.
3: We're back at the mom's house. This is where we have that wholesome conversation of, it's not me, but it's it's a role you're playing. And Alice is just very, very frustrated because she cannot feasibly relay what's going on in her real life to her mom right now. There's a lot going on. Jordan's giving her the cold shoulder. It's very sad. She's feeling very isolated. This is where she does the research and finds yes. out That every Is it everybody in the top 10 or everybody who's been number one? She does research and essentially surmises that Tink is the number one friend of everybody who is in the top 10.
1: Everybody who's done a collaboration with With Baby. Baby.
3: Yes. Thank you, Charlie. So that leads her to think, just like Darby said, with the IT background that Tink must be behind whatever this AI demon going on is or whatever the fuck it is or isn't.
0: So, yeah, she goes to see him, but not without her taser. Hello. Tucked in the um, the back of her jeans. She goes to see him. She definitely plays a little bit of the victim, right? She wants to get information from him. So she decides she's going to give him some of the emotional ploying that he so desires. And... He doesn't really say anything of value, but she ends up falling asleep, which surprised me. I didn't think she would say, but she does. She's probably so exhausted. She falls asleep. She wakes up to his soft bones coming from the bathroom. She goes to see what's going on and he is masturbating to a live video of Lola. So even with Alice in the room with him, he cannot help himself. And so she tases him and she confronts him very aggressively, which is kind of cool to see. But he swears his innocence, I guess. But he's not
2: innocent. Just like, mm,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he knew
2: and did nothing. And that's, again, this meta statement about sex workers in the world. Because he claims innocence because he, quote unquote, did nothing men I'm are wondering. not this but they don't say anything against those who are mm. right that so that makes me think of
0: of what you said darby about like him being in it i wonder if like that could like set up for a sequel to this if the story could be more developed and we could understand the technology more and if his experience in it could have because I, I don't know I don't know why he would be all of their number one friends. And he even says at one point, I can tell when the change is going to happen. Like what? And he doesn't even explain that, which is such a big letdown, right? Unless I miss something, he just leaves that.
2: And I feel like that's one of their shortcomings of this film because they built up a lot of options and then they made no choices. And I feel like they were hiding behind ambiguity. And I enjoy ambiguity in a film, but not when it's in choice of actual narrative it did not serve the narrative to be ambiguous because there's no explanation. There is no actual conclusion to this. And I would say that it would be good if that were setting up for a sequel, but there were a lot of things that didn't agree. And I've been trying to work that out in my head. I think it would take a lot of work for this to be improved upon. There were subtle things though about Lola becoming her makeup skills improved. She had no boundaries. You know, all of these little subtle things like she got really good at doing her hair and doing her makeup the it version or the ia version or the internet demon version <laughs> of the fuck it was because we never got <laughs> any Let's real explanation. fola fola fola, Whoa, fola. fola. <laughs> so fola becomes more of this amalgamation Ooh. of cam girls competing within this linear structure of this singular cam service. So whatever this is, is a glitch in the algorithm that is taking over the most consumable characters generated.
3: I almost want to drop the deleted scene of what I read because it fits very nicely right here. We'll, do it, do it's, it. Do it. I, okay, I was about to say, at this point, we don't need to worry linear about the Linear structure plot. is fake. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. According to the IMDb trivia, there is a deleted scene that suggests that the mysterious figure that has taken over Alice's online persona is in fact an algorithm taking over hundreds and hundreds of hours of Lola's past videos to create content that would attract an abundance of viewers. Hence the AI or algorithm could produce content without any physical or moral restrictions set by Alice. So it was a computer the entire time. It didn't make it to the theatrical cut Because what the fuck? They didn't explain it. I
0: thought it was a ghost. I wanted it to be a ghost.
1: I wanted it to be a ghost.
0: I was ready for a big metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this has to be a metaphor.
2: Nope. Yeah, I wanted it to be a ghost because everything was too exact for it to be like a human just pulling off Mm. really, really good replication. I mean, they could have done that and that still at least would have been a solid solution that could have led to other questions and delivered their if it was their little metaphor fable that just felt like that's what they were doing.
3: Also in an interview with the director, writer, and the protagonist, they share that this film was six months into post-production when deep faking became newsworthy. So this wasn't even like inspired by deep fakes or, or anything like that. This was like pre like World by Knowledge of Deep Faking. So they said like, yeah, we felt a little prophetic because like it hit at the right time, but this wasn't in mind when they were thinking about it.
1: I would be interested then if they did a sequel and they went kind of the same way that the Unfriended series did because the first Unfriended was very much like this is paranormal and this is a mystery and then the second one is very much this is human beings doing this. Yeah,
3: that's what I was thinking of is that second Unfriended in the way that it ends. That's what I was thinking they were trying to do with this but then they were like, no, we were thinking about it and it's like, oh, all right, yeah, (laughs) never mind.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it just... Cam feels unfinished Mm. and as much as I really appreciate like a sex work movie being made by a sex worker, I'm hoping that now we've had the bad sex work movie made by a sex worker, then we can move into having good movies about sex work made by sex workers in the same way as like the conversation we all had about what was it called? A Christmas story. What was the lesbian movie last year? Oh fuck. Uh With Kristen Stewart. Mm, something, something holidays happy help ho- no generic generic holiday movies definitely generic, generic. holiday movie with lesbians mm-hmm. but like yeah it's, it's like this is, is representation yeah. but it's not good representation but now hopefully because we've had the bad representation we can move on to just like normal things like where it doesn't happiest have season. to be about queer being
2: stories, happiest season, yeah.
1: It's like, <laughs> let's now move on to queer stories where it doesn't have to be about queer trauma and it doesn't have to be about being forced back into the closet and like all of these kind of cliches but yeah like that said Kristen Stewart I love her I can't wait to see her as Lady Die. Mm-hmm. me too but yeah like this movie it just kind of sucked. Wait, wait. So let's do the
0: ending and then let's yes. talk about our thoughts. Because yeah. I, I can tell we are so there.
1: Yeah. Let's just cover Sorry. it.
0: I guess meeting Lola in this room, Lola doesn't recognize the similarity. So I guess that that cues Alice into the fact that this is not a real person. This must be some kind of simulation who just like senses people. And so that kind of like gives her that cue. So she goes home and she enters into a meeting with Lola. She gives her a certain amount of tokens. Lola goes into that room with her. And somehow because of the way she has her screen positioned in the back to show what's going on, Alice persuades Lola. I was like, Lola. She persuades Lola to like, (laughs) to bring her back into the chat room. So now, both of their faces are showing in the Lola's chat room. I'm not exactly sure how like that ended up happening. Something with like the screens and the way they were situated, but they're both there now and audiences can see both. And originally they think that it's some kind of special effects, right? Because at this point Lola is known for doing some good things with special effects, but Alice challenges Lola to a game to see which one is more convincing. Lola wins the first round. She's much more enjoyable to watch, much more in character. But then Alice wins the second round because she smashes her face against the desk that she's at once and then smashes her face again twice. And you can see that it takes the computer algorithm, which, yeah, yes, computer algorithm, a little bit of time to catch up and adjust what Lola is showing to her audience, but Lola is also not in any pain. And then because Alice wins that round, she's able to ask for whatever she wants and she asks for Lola's password. Lola gives it to her. She's able to log in and then delete Lola's account, and then it's all over. Did I miss anything? <laughs>
3: The only thing was like the gut punch of Lola making Alice say, I love you guys to her room, which was her breaking her yeah. own rule again. That was obviously like another painful thing to do. But yep, she sobs, slash, laughs. And then the movie ends with her returning as a different character. Her mom is very supportive, does her hair and makeup for the show because she's still very much hurt with her face, but she feels more confident. And she starts a new avatar with the same hey guys. And that's how the movie ends. So like Yeah.
2: Well, and that again is like, I feel as though there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't meet up with that being the solution. Which again, gives me the whole, this is a fable because then she creates a persona, uses a fake name behind the fake name for the registration, gives herself a look that isn't something she does on the street, which is what a lot of club strippers do that. A lot of cam girls do that. A lot of full service people do that. So yeah like the solution did not explain how they gave us too much information for the vagueness of it that they ended it with like just the choice to not explain anything which is why again i'm gonna go back
0: to it should have been an episode of something (laughs) that is such a good point they really did give us a lot like there were two red herrings at one point so much was going on for it to not culminate into something was very disappointing
2: there was Tink. There was Princess X. I feel like Barney was supposed to kind of be a red herring at one point, too, because he made a very specific point that, like, all of the top girls he had been the primary supporter of at the time they became number one, which another unfinished and unfollowed thread was the Sarah Bear character who'd done a collaboration. Tink was a high supporter of her, but she was MIA, Right. Was she also dead, which again, lends to Charlie's idea that she was in peril and my whole is this purgatory, but obviously not. Yeah. So all of those things could have been done just as well. And that level of uncertainty would have been more comfortable in something like a Twilight Zone episode.
3: Also, the idea that they make it almost heartwarming that she's starting very last on the site. And it's like, is the fact that she isn't as concerned with rank anymore supposed to be seen as character development or trauma? Like, what is it? Because it's like, oh, I'm not as obsessed with rank anymore and I can just like find my niche and do whatever, which I guess is cool. But if she wants to go for the top, she fucking can. So like, is this supposed to be like a turn of the page in her sex work journey? Or is it supposed to be like, I I I couldn't tell that.
2: And that's- That's why I interpret it as a fable, because I feel like her starting again with the more protection of her name and her identity is an important part of it. And also going for growth in that creation rather than ranking, because that means she's not going to fall into the case of violating her boundaries to obtain this arbitrary title. Being the number one on this one campsite isn't paying your bills. Buying a $5,000 mattress is fantastic, but, you know, you have to make sound financial decisions. So to me, like, there's this element of responsibility, this thing of, like, reinforcing your established boundaries You know, because that protects your image, it protects your identity, the loss of control of her image and her security, like all of those things, which, again, were the quote unquote real dangers, whereas no one could understand that because they were so distracted by the stigma of sex work. Like when I was talking about her being distracted and rude to service workers, like she's going through a trauma that other people can't see when her mom's like, it's not that bad you know, like, I think you're actually great. Like, I'm so amazed that you have this in you because I never get the side of you. It's her not being able to actually connect to what she was experiencing because she was so hung up on this narrative. And that's why I say I feel like the real villain was the violation of boundaries for this arbitrary thing, which makes me question how much the actual execution dismantled or actually reinforced horarchy and horophobia. And a lot of very problematic stigmas of sex work, right? Because in reality, she should just be respected as a human and it should be respected as work. She shouldn't have to go through a ton of work to hide her identity. People shouldn't you know, they should be happy paying for what they get and not expect to own people. But like that Barney character showed, that is the expectation. That is what's being dealt with. Those are the realities that they are mitigating and the labor that people gladly consume and still fail to properly recognize.
0: I literally cannot tell you how much more informed I feel. (laughs) This is why I'm... I don't know. I mean this is why I love talking about movies like this with Shay and especially having you guys as guests on the show. I think that even though this movie in some ways was a little bit of a bust, I feel like getting to hear your perspectives on all of the ways that it fell short, I think might've even been more informative to me than if we had watched a movie that was successful. And I feel really good about that. And again, one of the reasons why it's so amazing how much there is to talk about with movies and how much movies have to say and how much it is worth talking about them, especially in the horror genre, which sometimes is overlooked.
1: Yeah. There's one point that I want to bring up, which I just try and put out there. Anytime I ever get a platform to say anything anywhere other than my own platform where like I feel like I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but in wider life as a rule and also very much while watching youtube videos and things of reactions to this movie the language that is so often used around sex workers is that they are liars and they're predatory and that kind of language that's being used and the feeling might not be that sort of violent in most people But because that language is there, it's kind of softening the violent feelings that are very real. Like sex workers are among the most at risk of everybody and are subject to very real violence. But the narrative around them is that they are predatory and they're only after you for your money and yada, yada, yada. It's like, it's very much the anti-sex work propaganda and making these people less than human like you come across it in true crime all the time where it's like the report doesn't even say that a human was involved in this murder because it was a sex worker that was murdered. So it's like a non-human victim almost. And yeah, just like the casual way people talk about sex workers as being professional liars. And it's like, no, the reality of it is, it is play acting that everyone is consenting to. And yeah, like this person might be telling you that oh yeah, you're the hottest thing I've ever seen in my life. You make me so, oh my God. Like That might not be the case for that sex worker at that point in time. But this is kind of the Disneyland pack that you've gone into. It's like when you enter Disneyland, you all agree without signing a piece of paper that this is the most magical place on earth in the same way that when you enter a chat with a cam girl or you have a conversation with someone you subscribe to on OnlyFans, you are paying for the fantasy And that is fine. That's great. Like, and it works. Like, it's helpful to people on both sides because people wouldn't be paying for this service if it wasn't something that they needed. Like, sex workers are the only professionals who are really spoken of as predators when we have these huge multinational corporations that are actual villains, actual fucking villains, like billionaires who are double and tripling their net worth during a global pandemic when people all over the world are losing their income and lives. And yet sex workers are the villains. Like, no, no, like the stigma around that and the language around that needs to change. It's like, no, they're not preying on lonely men. They're providing an ear for lonely men. Like that's what they're doing. They are therapists, light like therapists light. I mean, in a lot of ways, they're even therapists heavy.
2: They're DDSM heavy therapists. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's, I said earlier that this problems sex workers face are a microcosm of what femmes face under patriarchal domination. And the fact of the matter is, is like, we do not have a healthy understanding of consent in our culture, period. But it's easier for the patriarch to stay in power to make consent a issue, right? Like reinforcing ideas that all women want to be forced deep down and all of these rape culture subtext, which sex workers are the most concentrated victims of. We see those same systems playing out in every echelon of society. Yeah.
1: I guess to boil down what I'm saying, like in the process of watching this movie and researching this movie and stuff like it was great to see a movie that wasn't a cautionary tale against sex work itself. And I know she wasn't particularly buying things for her shows in the dollar store, but that was a very relatable scene to me. I'm like, I've definitely bought things for mm-hmm. OnlyFans in the dollar store. Like, you go to the dollar store to buy things for sex work. You do. It's yep. it's great. <laughs> well,
2: but, she's not uh, going to decorate that room every damn day with, you know, the cost of decorating oh. a wedding. She's going to the fucking dollar store. You know she absolutely. is. absolutely
0: DIYs. Like, Let's talk about
2: DIY. uh, Did show some really real elements of sex workers that, if they were done by any other element of society, would be celebrated. How DIY she is! What a responsible business person she was in terms of actually tracking her progress. How does she grow as a business? How is she re-examining this? She's, you know, how many of us haven't made extravagant purchases that first time we had a decent paycheck? right? We've all done
1: these things, but they're less respected because she's doing it with her tits. It's a service. It's a necessary service in the same way that getting your oil changed is a necessary service. <laughs> if it wasn't necessary, it wouldn't exist. But yeah, like thank you to the movie for showing that. It's just a everyday run-of-the-mill thing. But fuck all the YouTubers who used this as an excuse to make a joke about the fact that strippers lie to take your money.
2: Yeah. It's bullshit.
1: Yeah. It's absolute bullshit. Yeah. There was one YouTuber. I'm not going to say his name, but he described camming as like strippers in a club, but less work. And I'm like, uh, no, 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 it's not less work. Like you can see in the movie, all the work that she's doing, like the pre-planning, like the meticulous planning of everything that she's doing, like it. It's a full-time job. It's an absolute full-time job. Like, I don't have the the wherewithal to make OnlyFans my only job because I'm not that organized. I haven't yeah, got the spoons. Not. I haven't got the bandwidth for it. Like, it is hard work. Going back to, like,
3: something one of you two said, very much akin
1: to LGBT
3: films. We thank it for the visibility, but in terms of the bottom line, obviously missed the mark. Yeah. Obviously, too, as a horror movie, because, like, what the fuck? Like, I went into it thinking it was going to be a lot more unfriended than it was and unfriended being like actual good screen capture horror weird demon virus like I wanted more of that
1: yeah same I was excited for it because as well like you Shay I very much enjoy seeing how horror can incorporate all the new technologies that we have and Elise I'm sorry I know you haven't watched the uh the scream trailer yet but that that one aspect of like how technological our houses have become I think you know what I'm talking about yes yes. oh my god yes like that's the reason I don't want to have one of those like smart systems in my house like I want an analog lock on my door thank you (laughs) I was about to say if y'all
3: haven't like not telling y'all how to do your show if you haven't already y'all could do an episode on like host unfriended like, oh yeah
2: we've talked about that i haven't seen host Oren friended mostly because like if i can't watch the horror movies with charlie here so that i can dissociate i'm already scared to death of everything that all the noises uh, at night so there will definitely
1: be a, a modern technology month coming we have plans for the rest of the year at this point so it'll probably be next year sometime
2: I think that the classic for that should be Poltergeist since it comes through the television. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. I feel like it'll probably be Poltergeist, Paranormal Activity, notes. Host, and One of the Unfriendeds. Probably right. two. I preferred the second one, honestly. The second one's good. Also, like,
3: you could do Friend Let's Request, do which is, one. like, the horrible version of Unfriended, but in terms of, like, an indie terrible trying to do what Unfriended did, it's still entertaining. Yeah, What's yeah it I called? haven't seen Friend that Request? One. Friend request. It's bad. It's bad. It's a Facebook demon.
2: Anyway, thank you for that recommendation because we have been talking about this and have never fully developed a list. And now we have another list. We build lists all the time. We love to do it.
0: Well, does anybody have any final concluding thoughts about the movie that they feel they didn't get to share?
2: I'm an anti-fan by nature. I do what I do because (laughs) I love things by analyzing them. And so Mm -hmm. I do want to like give it props for a lot of attempts. Like there was good storytelling. They were very clear about what was going on, which for me, I feel like was one of the reasons why the vagueness of the ending was so upsetting because they were very specific to direct your attention, but they did good characterization. The performances were all applaudable. Like I had pointed out the fola, did develop her (laughs) cosmetic skills as she evolved. You know, subtle storytelling details. There was quality quality work that went into it there's a handful of reasons why it missed the mark for me just as a simple narrative like even aside from the fact that I'm an advocate for sex workers everything about this I feel like even from the severe horror phobia the interaction with the cops the relationship with the family if that had all been condensed into a 30-minute story you could have told it with just as much aplomb and I would have been more accepting of the vagueness
1: Mm -hmm. maybe when we start our own more sex work positive black mirror inspired series i'm here for it i'll be watching <laughs> you guys should be in it
0: <laughs> uh, yeah um literally Casting queers and horror know. fans only let me know when auditions are any i day will week. roll up <laughs> any day
3: of the damn week but yeah
0: no pressure but i will bring my all to those auditions thank you excellent
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent.
0: yeah you have the wigs and everything too so like
1: oh yeah a reading. couple wigs I have a whole like wall a wig. of wigs.
0: Oh my God, Charlie. <laughs> I would love to see that wall of wigs. Day. You guys got to come out and visit.
3: Like we will take you up on that screen five offer. Like literally send in the substitute teachers. Cause we're going to
0: Vegas. <laughs> yeah. I get my subs. Yeah. I have personal days. I've been saving for something like this. <laughs> there you go. Vegas baby. Well, thank you guys so for reeking much for coming on our show again charlie and darby from quim city productions bringing the fire the reality
1: i had the best time (laughs) thank you so much for for having having us us. again it's been just really really fun to have a conversation with you
3: are y'all okay with us plugging your personal pages as well as the quim city or would you just prefer the quim city
1: uh yeah i'm fine with
2: that yeah i'm darby a Fox. If you say it in pirate English, she will get it on Gmail or on Gmail. Yeah, on Gmail and Instagram and Darby Fox on Facebook.
1: Charlie Quinn Stalling on Instagram and Facebook and some bastardized version of that on TikTok. You can follow
3: their podcasts, multiple, on Quim City Productions with two M's. Yes. Because yes. I had a hard time with that the first time. <laughs> I couldn't find
1: two. <laughs> Quim City Presents is the podcast. Quim City Productions is the company where we Mm. do all of our stuff. And yeah, we we have some burlesque shows coming up this month. If you're in and around Las Vegas or you want to catch the live stream on our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Quim City. We have a Dungeons and Dragons themed burlesque show happening on October the 24th. And then we have a Halloween burlesque brunch happening on October the 31st. Very, very, very excited. Amazing.
3: All right. Well, thank you so much to our new friends. And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye.